City, oh city, beaten by storms. Is there no one to comfort you? The city, oh city, beaten by storms. Listen closely to your God. I will build your walls with gates of sparkling jewels. Righteousness will be your strength. I will teach your sons the way. Praise God. Well, the title of this message is Learning to Linger. All right, Learning to Linger. Something I've often spoken on, but I'm trusting God that we'll have a revelation of the importance of this great, great subject. Let's turn in our Bibles. I'm going to read from the Old Testament. All right. This is about the old days where Saul was king of Israel. He'd been appointed by Samuel. So we're going to Samuel 13, and I'm going to be reading from verse 5. 1 Samuel 13, verse 5. So we've got Israel, and you're going to see that they are in great, great difficulty. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. Listen to these numbers. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. All right, so that's just the chariots and the horsemen. And people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. That's a horde of people, is it not? And they came up and encamped in Michmash, to the east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, I think that's a bit of an understatement, they were distressed, then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. Then he waited seven days, according to the time set by Samuel the prophet. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? 
Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and then Saul goes out and tries to fight this battle on his own. Now, just think of the situation. Does any one of us here blame Saul? I mean, just think about it. The army that he has is totally overwhelmed. They only had one sword amongst them. Did you know that? They had no metal. Had, so they basically were an agricultural army, armed with sticks and staves. And now they are surrounded and they are totally overwhelmed. Horsemen, chariots, army is as far as you can see. And it describes how the people were afraid. You can imagine. They thought, oh my soul, this is it. And all they went off hidden caves. Some of them went into the territory. Of the, they fled. They got out of the way. Saul was standing there in the holy place with a handful of people. And when they saw what was coming, even a whole lot of them ran away. And the prophet had said to Saul, after seven days, I will come and offer the sacrifice. Now you see, Saul understood something. And Israel understood that if they did not have God on their side, they didn't have a chance. They knew that. If they didn't have God on their side, they didn't have a chance. Because obviously in the natural, they're totally overwhelmed. All right, now there's a picture in this for all of us. But here he is, Saul, and he's waiting for the prophet. Because it was not the king's duty, function, to offer the sacrifice. Only the priest could do that. Can you see? Only the priest could do that. So now Saul is in a rock and a hard place. He sees his troops with such fear that in their hearts that they are just dispersing all over the place. They're running away. He needs to have the offering done so that they can get ready and do some sort of battle. But they must have God on their side. And you see, the prophet said, after seven days I'll come. What happens after seven days? No show. Have you ever been in a situation where you're waiting for God to come through? <laughs> and seemingly there's no show. I've been there often, all right? So Saul is in this predicament, and obviously he's stretched beyond measure, and then he makes a decision, a tragic decision, which you and I so often make. He decides to do it himself, all right? He offers the sacrifice himself, you see? And because of that, he lost his authority as the king. You might say that's unfair, but you see, God works in strange ways. What we've got to realize is that God is able. No matter the odds against you and I, God is more than enough. Can you all say amen? He wouldn't be God if that wasn't the case, would he? God is more than enough in any situation you and I face. However, there's a condition. And that condition is we must face the issues with him. Amen.
not with him theoretically, not with him sort of semantically, God is with me, blah, 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 not poetically either, really, you see. And the key to moving into a situation with God, the key is learning how to linger in his presence. I'm going to explain why. Let's just shoot to the New Testament. I want you to read with me John. This is a theme I found throughout the Bible. Here we have the situation where the Lord has been crucified. Okay, John chapter 20. We're going to read from verse 1. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Yeshua loved. That disciple, by the way, is John, who's writing this account. And said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Therefore Peter went out and the other disciple, that's John again, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter. Right, so John was obviously a bit more athletic than Peter, and came to the tomb. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Right? But Mary, now she must have gone to tell them, and then they ran ahead, she came back again. So she's hanging around there. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and she wept, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Yeshua had lain. Then they said to a woman, Why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Yeshua standing there, and did not know that it was him. He said to her, Woman, Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposing him to be the gardener. I find that quite amusing, don't you? <laughs> the Lord of glory mistaken for a gardener. <laughs> Nothing wrong with being a gardener, but there we go. Said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Yeshua said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. And he said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Amen. Now, just get the senior. All right, they're all totally distraught because the person they've been following has been crucified and been laid in the tomb and it's, in a sense, in the natural, it's all over. But anyway, Mary, faithful Mary, goes to the tomb. On the way, she has all this stuff, the spices. They didn't have refrigeration, you understand? So she wanted to preserve his body for burial. I don't know why they did, but that's what they did. And she's going there and she's thinking to herself, how am I going to get into this tomb because it's a massive stone. She gets there and the stone has been rolled away. Praise be to God. She looks in there, nothing. But she realizes that something's happened. He's risen or he's been taken away. She runs to the other disciples 
Peter and John, they take off. John gets there first, but I think he's a gentleman. He waits for Peter. says, okay, Peter rushes in being Peter, looks around, and he sees the clothing there, but nothing else. John as well goes in, and the attitude almost is nothing to see here. Nothing to see, although John did believe. So they saw nothing, basically, and off they went. But Mary, Mary, listen to this. She learned this lesson of lingering a bit longer. Amen? She's sticking around there and she's thinking to herself, trying to, I get the impression, she's trying to work this all out, compute it all in her mind, and she's weeping. And guess what? She has a visitation. She's the first person recorded in history to have met the risen Messiah. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Did God choose her? Do you think he didn't want to meet with Peter and John? I mean, what is the problem? They rushed off, you see. They rushed off. They didn't stick around. Now, I want us to grasp something. When you and I deal with God, we must remember God is a spirit. All right? That's where you and I as human beings battle. Because we are spirit beings, but we are so accustomed to the natural world. We live in it all the time. It speaks to us. It is our natural habitat. But you see, the moment you and I got born again, our spirit man came alive. And we are supposed to be in contact with the spirit world. I was so aware of that. Until that moment in my life, there was no God for me. I couldn't think of him being around. But the moment my spirit man came alive, I became aware of him. Amen. And we all should have that experience of being aware of him. But you see, that doesn't mean that we no longer live in the physical world. The truth is we do live in the physical world. And as Christians, our duty is to learn how to live in this physical world as spirit beings. Amen? How to live in these two worlds. You see, we are in this world, but we are not of it. Okay. Now you see, as we've been mentioning here, Israel came under tremendous attack. The enemies of God... The devil and all his hordes wanted above all else to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Why? Well, Israel were God's chosen people. Why he chose them? That's his decision, but he chose them. It's like in the fiddle of the roof of the Father, you know, in one of his soliloquies, he's praying to God, you see. And he says to God, I know we are your chosen people, but couldn't you have for once chosen somebody else <laughs> because of all the things he was going through with his daughters getting married but anyway you see god chose them and satan wants to wipe them out so he gets all his forces in the natural totally overwhelms them but they've got god on their side mm. but you see if they do not invoke let's put it that way the god who's on their side in other words if they operate in the natural they're done for they're done for. Can I just say that you and I as Christians, children of the living God, we are right in the sights of the enemy. He wants to wipe us off the face of the earth. Did you know that? Very pleasant, isn't it, to think that the devil's formulated a plan just for you. Hmm? But you're bigger than him because God's inside of us. Amen? But let me just say this. He wants to destroy us, and he might have in the natural resources big enough to destroy us. However, if God is on our side, he cannot touch us. Does everybody get that? Now, why is it that so many Christians get taken out anyway? 
You see, this is the point. You see, even though God is on our side, in a sense, we have to activate the God that is on our side. Amen? If we don't activate that God, He can't do anything for us unless somebody else is praying for us. Thank God for godly parents. Amen. But you see, this is how you and I access God. It's basically exercising faith in the God which we cannot see. Now you see, this is what I need to explain. You and I are sitting here. God is all around. Did you know that? There's so much power available here that there's no reason why any sickness should not be banished from this place. Amen. There's no reason for any problem not to be resolved right here because the power of God is available. But you see, just by being here doesn't mean it's going to happen necessarily. What have we got to do? You see, our spirit man is already in contact with the living God if you're born again. Did you know that? Whether you feel it or not. But the problem is we are aware of the physical world. Our feelings, our bodies are so much aware of the physical world and we have our minds. Our minds are soul. Now you see, that part of us can move. Our bodies are in contact with the world, feeling the pain, feeling the pressure, feeling the attacks, feeling all of that stuff. Our spirit man is at peace with God, and in the middle is our soul man. Basically our mind, our focus, our attention. Now you see, when you and I want to bring God into the situation, our minds have to be focused on Him. Can you see that? We sang that song, my eyes are ever on the Lord. If our eyes are on Him, all the resources of heaven become available to us. And for your information, heaven has got more than enough resources to deal with any single problem you and I could ever, ever possibly face. Isn't that wonderful? Amen? But you see, before those resources can become available, we have to get our minds on Him. Do you see that? And you see, the problem with that is that it's not a sudden, instant thing. You cannot flick a switch and suddenly be aware of Almighty God. It takes time. We have to wait on Him. You understand? It's like climbing up a mountain. It would be so nice if we came to the foot of a mountain and, hey, Presti, on the top. Does it work that way? No. You have to gradually work our way up. It's not that God is not already here. It's just that our focus has got to slowly but surely move. Did you know that? If you've ever taught, you'll understand that focuses have to move. <laughs> because very often the focus is not where you want it to be amongst the children. It takes quite a bit of singing and dancing to get them to, um, especially if they're four or five-year-olds. It gets worse when they get to... Uh, 15 and 16 year old. But anyway, the point is focus moves, you see. And you and I have got to learn that to get God into our world. Let me put it that way. The world that he's already in. But to get him, in a sense, on our side, operating for us, we've got to move into his presence. Our focus has got to be on him. Amen. And you see, the key to that, the key to that is not just some magic formula, some scripture you invoke or some funny incantation. No, it takes focus. It takes time. The scriptures help us because they help direct our thoughts, you see. Meditating on the word helps us to direct our thoughts. Can you see that? And unless we prepare to do that, 
we will not be aware of his presence. And to a large extent, you and I as Christians end up trying to operate in the flesh as normal human beings. The Bible says, do not be mere men. <laughs> What's wrong with being a mere man? That's all I am. But no, no, as a child of God, you have the Spirit of God inside of you. We need to get it activated, get him activated. Let's put it that way. You understand? We have to. There's no other way. We have to do that. Moses, at one stage in Exodus, when he was having a discussion with the Lord, he made the statement, unless you come with us, unless we have your presence, we will not go up from here. Can you see that? We will not go up from here. Unless we have your presence, we will not go up from here. That's exactly what was happening to Saul. God put him in a position to test his heart. Amen. And you see, when you and I are waiting for God, don't think that the devil will say, okay, I'll step aside while you wait for your God. I'll have a cup of tea. Just let me know when you've accessed him and I'll come. Does he do that? No, he comes before to try and stop you. Crowds your mind with stuff. Has anybody had that? You go to pray and suddenly everything comes onto your little brain. Have you had that, Amy? It's horrible, isn't it? And see, in our society, let me just say this, we've been trained to do something. Hurry, rush. Am I right? The whole world is based on hurry, rush. Get it and go. Fast food society. Get it and go. You can't cook good food quick. Is this true? Or am I speaking as an ignoramus? Some restaurants, they say, please be prepared to wait. Good food takes time. I say, hallelujah. It doesn't mean that it's just coming straight from the deep freeze into the microwave. But you understand something. That's the same with God. And that's why it's so difficult in our society, because, get the scenario, I'm going to draw a comparison. Saul is there. The Amalekites are coming. Hurry up. The Amalekites are getting closer. Hurry up. The people are disappearing. Hurry up. Hurry up. Oh Lord, I've got problems. Come, come, come. I've got problems. I've got to sort this out. Problems at the office. I need to rush there and get it sorted out. There's a phone goes again. There's another SMS. Oh, I've got to sort this out. Hurry up, hurry up. What's the problem there? You get it? You see, we've got to learn to linger. Learn to linger. When you go to God in His presence, it's really a great, great discipline to be able to shut every other voice out. Amen? And just focus on Him. Focus on Him. Let me tell you, that discipline can make the difference between total failure and overwhelming success. Did you know that? And for you and I in this world, it's difficult, I know. I don't think it's ever been easy. But you see, we have to learn how to do it. And I can say that the more you and I do it, the easier it becomes. You understand? We develop a skill. And you might say, oh, well, that's a funny skill. I've got other skills to develop. I must get my career going and blah, blah, blah. But let me tell you, that skill can put you over in any single situation. Did you know that? That ability to hear God under pressure. I just thought of Elisha. The Syrians wanted to come and take him out. They sent a whole battalion because he had word of knowledge. He was telling the Israel king exactly where the ambush would be. And so the Syrians couldn't touch them. And the king 
actually came to the conclusion that there was somebody in his circle that was telling the king, informing him. Somebody said, no, it's the prophet, he operates supernaturally. So obviously the king sends all these people. And yeah, Elisha, you know, he doesn't have a bodyguard. He doesn't have one of these big guys, you know. The whole standing around him, protection. You seen that in the movies? The politicians all got these big hoods around them, the dark glasses. Elisha didn't travel like that. All he had was a simple servant by the name of Gehazi. Gehazi was quite a character, by the way, but he had one simple servant that actually maybe made his tea and did a few menial tasks for him. That's it. So he's living out in the woods in a shack, and here comes this massive army. Now, Elisha, I get the impression, is having a sleep in, you see, because it's Gehazi that's outside doing the chores, and he looks up and he sees this. Uh-oh. Drops the pail, drops the laundry, drops everything. Shaking and trembling comes to Elisha. We are done for. They're after us. Elisha barely bats an eyelid. I mean, we all know the story, but you see, what was his prayer? Oh Lord, open his eyes. Just open Gehazi's eyes. And when his eyes were opened, what did he see? The horsemen of Israel, the chariots of Israel. All surrounding. So basically, those who are with us are far more than those are within. Did you know that? No matter what you and I are facing, those with us are far more than those who are with them. Why God sent a whole phalanx of chariots, I don't know. For your information, on one occasion, one solitary angel wiped out 185,000 men, enemies of Israel. That's pretty awesome statistic. So, I mean, you don't need more than one of those angels, don't you think? I'd like that, that angel standing over Graham. No dark glasses, no earphone, no shoulder holster, nothing. He can take out at least 185,000. Should you and I be afraid? Really? Should you and I be afraid? Oh, my soul. But what's the secret? We have to have our eyes trained. Amen? Trained. And it's something you and I develop. It's not something that happens just like that. The church's job is to train us to do it. Amen? So we can all stand powerfully on our own. Amen? That's what we're here for. To learn how to see, perceive Him, the great God. And it helps to be with other people when we start singing the word, you understand? It's easier to experience His presence because we're not all on our own being battered and bashed with our solitary thoughts. That's why the gathering of the saints is so critically, critically important. You can't do without it. We can't. It's impossible. Many try and fail. Amen. Look at Mary. Can I understand? She grasped this. Early on, you remember the one occasion, they were friends of the Lord. Lazarus, Mary and Martha all lived in a house just outside Jerusalem. The Lord comes to visit them. They're so thrilled. We all know the story of Mary and Martha. What happens? Mary just sits and listens. Martha, on the other hand, she's off to make tea, off to bake the scones, off to clean the house, off to sort everything out. And she's doing all of this and looking at Mary and saying, you lazy. <clears throat> Eventually it gets too much for her and she says to the Lord, Lord, look at this. Here I am working my fingers to the bone to get everything sorted out for you. Mary, 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 quite contrary. Madam Mary just sits on her buttocks and just listens. See, get the attitude. 
What did the Lord say? Martha, Martha. What you're doing is good. We appreciate that. But Mary has chosen the better part. What is the better part? I don't think she didn't think that the tea and all that was important. But she realized something. Here is the God of the universe. You get it? In Scripture you'll find the odd occasion where people realized who he was. And the most unusual people, by the way. And those people received such a great blessing. But why? You see, Mary was there. She realized who he was and she'd learned to linger. You understand? Learned to linger. To pick up what there was. We need to learn that lesson. So it was when the end came and they're all running to the tomb and she's <laughs> panting, coming a bit behind them. And they all look at this and say, wow, wow, wow. But they basically nonplussed. Essentially say nothing to see. Off they go. But Mary, what does she do? What she always does, she lingers. She realizes something's going on here. The whole picture here isn't finished yet. You get it? It isn't finished. And she waits. And her waiting produces a visitation with Almighty God. Did you get that? You and I in prayer in the morning. The time is running out. There's so much to do. We all know the scenario. You can so easily say, I've done my 15 minutes. I've clocked in. Or my half hour. If you're really holy. Hour. Take that. An hour before Almighty God. Every day. But you know something? What the big danger is. You're doing your faithful hour. And you come to the end of it. And something just says to you, hold on. You get it? But you say in your mind, can't hold on. The world is waiting for me. The world isn't waiting for you. God is waiting for you. You see? And let me just say, if you and I can just learn, it doesn't happen all the time, but very often, just to linger. Just to linger a little bit longer. Just linger that little bit of time. Be surprised when revelation suddenly comes your way. You see? And how long must you wait? Well, can I just say this? It's not a question of minutes and seconds. It's a question of, I can feel his presence. Now that he is with me, I'm ready to go. Can you see that? In other words, you and I come from our prayer closet, not on our own. Amen? Not on our own. With Him. With Him. And you see, when you and I do that, we face the world, which is totally antagonistic, let's be honest, from above, not from below. Amen? It's a skill that you and I need to learn. And can I just encourage us, especially with the holiday season coming up, where there is a bit more, maybe, flexibility, not so many deadlines, etc. Spend the time trying to develop the skills. Amen? I always encourage the children of God to do that. Learn how to do it. Anybody can do it. Amen? Anybody can do it. You don't have to have a degree in theology 
In fact, if you have a degree in theology, it might confuse you totally. Let me say that again. If you have a degree in theology, it might confuse thee totally. Not that it's important. But you understand, it's not an intellectual thing, but it is involving the mind. It's not being clever, it's being quiet, being simple. And it's amazing how God can speak to you, or I. You start to realize, hey, that's different. Or you start saying, don't go there today, or go there tomorrow, or go there today. You understand, a whole lot of information can start coming our way from heaven if we are receptive. And that information, let me tell you, will put us across. Amen? Give us the victory. You might have a big problem in the work situation or the study situation, and because you waited just that extra 10 minutes, God gives you just that word of knowledge, you realize that's the way to go about it. Amen? It happens with me all the time when I'm preparing a message, for example. I will not stop waiting for God until I know what he wants me to say. Does that make sense? I've got a lot of things to say. If you've been preaching for 40 years, you've got a sermon or two in your back pocket. But do you know something? Maybe on one occasion have I preached the same message in those 40 years. Same information very often, but not the same message. Why? Do you understand? This very principle. If you don't want to hear a man's thoughts, we must hear from God. And I believe God is saying to us as his people, learn to linger. Just give him that extra five minutes if necessary. You might just, just get that answer. Amen. Rule of thumb, don't go until you have peace in your heart. I've shared this testimony before. It's a true story. The full gospel church in the old days, I think it was in the 60s, round about there, the headquarters were in Boxburg here. And they all gathered together to wait on God. They were having a time of prayer and fasting. All the leaders were there waiting, waiting on God, waiting on God. And this went on and on and on. And eventually the leadership said, no, let's just back up. It's not going to work. They closed the meeting and they all went home. Did you know that somebody that was watching the building from outside saw a cloud coming down? An unusual cloud coming down. Almost reached the building and then went back up. You know the moment that it changed course from going down to going up? The very moment the leadership said, no, it's not going to happen. Isn't that tragic? And we can't really blame them because we do the same thing. You might have been in prayer or reading your Bible and say, oh, it's interesting. Close the book and go. Just as the Holy Spirit was coming to give you revelation from that scripture, that would have made the difference to your life. My life, our lives. I must have done it a thousand times. Amen. And we all do it, but let's learn not to. Amen. Let's learn to linger. And we're going to start right here, right now, in his mighty name. Amen. City, oh city, beaten by storms. Is there no one to comfort you? City, oh city, beaten by storms. Listen close.
to your God.